Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Literary Quest. This week we're discussing King of Battle and Blood by Scarlett St. Clair. This is going to be an uh, After Dark episode. We'll be discussing mature themes like sex, so we'll probably be cussing. So gird your loins. I'll start with our characters and then Vicki will pick up with our plot. So we have several characters in this book. Our main character will be Isolde Delara of House Lara. Uh, she is 26 years old and a princess who's been trained in combat and fighting. She is very capable of protecting herself from monster and man alike and is willing to make significant sacrifices to protect her people. She's described as having brown skin and uh, dark curly hair. Her father is King Henry or Henri, if we're going to get French. Um, her, he, who is the ruler of the nine house of one of the nine houses of Cordova. Um, he and his old have a very close relationship and have always had each other, uh, since her mother died when his old was born. Our main male lead is Adrian, who is the blood king and the ruler of Rebecca. He is a vampire. He's currently on a mission to amass power by conquering nearby nations. He's been king of Rebecca for over 150 years, and he's described as having longish blonde hair, and he is obviously very sexy. We have Commander Alec Killian, who is King Henri, or Henry's commander of the royal guard i'm saying henri because it's spelled like henry but with an i and that's kind of a french spelling of things and there are some french words in this book so whatever it is um killian is a butthead he and his old have had sex but he caught feels and she did not and so he's got a temper and is possessive and we don't like him we have Soren, Isaac, and Miha, who are uh, also vampires, and they serve as guards to Isolde under Adrian's direction. Of them, Soren is the friendliest to Isolde. We have Ravina, or Ravenna, unsure of pronunciation here, but she's a witch. She served King Dragos, who is the previous king of Rebecca before Adrian uh, became king. When Dragos decided to slaughter all of the witches in the kingdom, Ravina basically betrayed all of the witches uh, by claiming that she could identify a witch on sight, and so she condemned anyone that she didn't like. She escaped after Dragos was killed and has been on the run since then. This book takes place in Cordova, that's the kingdom where the humans live and it's divided into nine territories and ruled by nine families and Rebecca, which is the empire of the vampire basically. Um, it is home to a blood red sky and a mysterious curse and the king Adrian resides in the red palace in Kel Caridine. 
think I got all that right. Vicki, do you want to pick up with our plot? Sure. So the nine houses of Cordova are being conquered by Rebecca, the empire of the vampire. Um, and Rebecca is led by Adrian, the blood king. He has killed thousands and his army of super strong vampires is impossible to stop. Even attacking during the day does not stop them as they are protected by magic. Isolde's country, Lara, appears to be next, but her father, King Henry, has decided to surrender and make a deal with Adrian. Isolde is looking at the camp with all the tents, and her ex-lover and the current commander, Killian, tries to speak with her. He attempts to convince her to stay inside, but Isolde hates feeling like she is caged. She gives him an excellent tongue lashing and walks off into the woods. Of course, she pretty much is immediately attacked by something called a striga, which is basically a zombie. Luckily, she is well-trained against almost all supernatural beings and is able to successfully kill the creature. As she starts to head back to the castle, she runs into a very attractive man in the woods. He's a vampire and he licks her wound to heal it and she kind of likes it. So she returns to the castle uh, and her lady's maid is getting her ready for the celebration to welcome the Blood King. She also gives Isolde a speech about how she should get married and her maid suggests Killian. Isolde is not happy about that because she really does not want to get married, especially not to Killian. She goes to the celebration and it's really awkward because no one wants to be there, um, celebrating the arrival of an army of vampires. The Blood King finally arrives and Isolde is shocked to see that he is the vampire from the woods. When he is asked what he wants for the safety of the people of Lara, he requests that Isolde marry him. Her father is ready to go to war over this, but Isolde says that she will marry him as long as he promises that her people will be safe, which he does. Everyone is upset with this, including Killian. And he goes to see Isolde after this festival or feast and tells her that her father had promised her to him, but now Adrian is getting in the way, so he'll have to kill Adrian. Isolde knows that this is idiotic and is also upset that she was apparently promised to someone. She goes to the vampire camp to warn Adrian. She's stopped by three vampires, Isaac, Soren, and Miha. She almost gets in a fight with them, but Adrian arrives, tells them who she is, and takes her to his tent. She warns him about Killian and makes him promise that he won't kill him or try to take revenge on her people. He again promises her and he tells her that he'll basically do anything for her or promise anything to her. They marry. It is a somber affair. No one is cheering and it's basically a funeral. Isolde knows that people are expecting her to kill Adrian on their wedding night. While she does attempt to stab him, it doesn't kill him. And she ends up enjoying her wedding night immensely, which people are really judgy about. Apparently a bunch of people, including Killian, listened outside the door. She's embarrassed, but keeps her head high. She knows that some people also think she is power hungry and wants to be queen of Cordova. When she goes to tell her father goodbye, he tells her that she should focus on trying to find a way to break the curse on Adrian and the vampires instead of trying to kill him. That makes her feel a little less pressured and better about going off with Adrian. So they leave to go to the empire of the vampire. The trip does not go smoothly. While Adrian and Isolde grow closer and she gets to know some of the vampires in the army pretty well, they end up ambushed by her own people. They call her a traitor and other not nice words and attempt to kill her. This forces her to fight back and kill citizens of Laura. She's incredibly devastated and saddened by this turn of events. The trip doesn't improve much. They come across a town that was destroyed by a spell. There are bodies everywhere and they're mutilated. It's awful. 
They have to burn the bodies because they do not know if they will rise again. Killian is somehow there and he blames the vampires, but it clearly wasn't them. But Adrian very nicely lends some vampires to help and keep them safe. They keep going and they finally arrive in Vecca. They find another town like the previous one with a lot of dead people and mutilated bodies. However, at this one, Isolde finds a young girl and thinking that the child managed to somehow escape the spell, she tries to help. It turns out though that the girl is possessed and she burns Isolde before being taken out by a vampire. They finally arrive at the Red Palace and get vampire married. It's a much happier affair and people are actually celebrating. However, Isolde ends up stabbing a vampire who grabs her and Adrian finishes the job killing a vampire who also happened to be a noble. Isolde starts developing tender feelings for Adrian and even believes she might be able to love him. This freaks her out, so she pushes him away. He respects her wishes, but still includes her in queenly activities like holding court. While holding court, citizens come to ask Adrian for things, including immortality. One citizen comes in and offers her his 16-year-old daughter to be Adrian's consort. Isolde dislikes that. She stabs the guy and takes the daughter in as an employee. Adrian also includes Isolde when all the nobles meet up and they have counsel. They discuss the towns that are randomly being destroyed. It's theorized that they are being spelled by a witch, likely Ravina, an old enemy. They also believe that the spell is Crimson Mist, which is supposed to be able to possess people and make an army, but that it's been killing everyone by mistake. Isolde decides to read up more on the country and discovers that the history she taught was wrong. King Dragos actually slaughtered people who disagreed with him, as well as his enemies and his enemy's family under the guise of them being evil witches, all while keeping a witch, Ravina himself. When Adrian killed him, the people of Rebecca were relieved and happy to have Adrian as their king. Now, Isolde had been taught that King Dragos was a good king and that Adrian had killed him, his wife, and his child in their sleep because Adrian was power hungry and that the people of Rebecca lived in fear. Isolde finally starts to give in to her feelings for Adrian a bit more and begins having some weird dreams where she embodies the witch Eusina, who was advisor to King Dragos and a powerful seer. However, Isolde seems to be in constant danger. They go on a hunt with the nobles and Isolde is attacked by a possessed noble who's possessed by the Crimson Mist. She also has a vision of Ravina who threatens her. Then they're at a feast, someone tries to poison her. It takes her days to fully recover. And they haven't even had her official coronation yet, which everyone will be going to, all the vampire nobles along with Isolde's father and some of the people from her country. Isolde is very nervous about seeing her father since she has mostly embraced her feelings for Adrian at this point and knows that her father and her country won't understand. Adrian is also worried as there have now been numerous attempts on Isolde's life and is taking a lot of precautions. Unfortunately, he does not realize that an attack on Isolde may come from this unexpected person. So what happens at her coronation? Are they able to stop the Crimson Mist? You'll have to read or listen to find out. Spoilers ahead. This was a good story. The book was written well. The sex was really hot, but it was a reincarnation story. And I hate those. And the reason I hate them is actually like pretty well, like shown pretty much in this book, right? So he meets her in the woods, immediately knows who she is, that she is the reincarnation of the love of his life. So he knows he has to marry her. He has to make her fall in love with him. Um, so that he can bring back his love, right? And 
so for me, everything that he does from that point onward is completely inauthentic. He's not being patient or kind or loving or doing nice things for her. For her, for his old, he's doing it so that he can get Yesenia back, so that she remembers who she was to him. So there's no real love or anything for his old. All of his actions are inauthentic and have um, like a whole nother reason why he's doing them. So that's what I hate about reincarnation stories. And there's nothing wrong with this book. The book is great. I love Scarlett St. Clair. I love her other books. It's just this is why I don't like reincarnation stories. I feel like I don't have the same hangups about reincarnation stories as you do. I get why that bothers you though. I get, I get how it seems inauthentic if he knows that this person is the one that's been reincarnated. And so his actions are motivated by reaching that person that he was in love with and not actually the person that she is now. So I guess that makes sense. I really enjoyed this book and I loved the main character in this story is old. Yeah, she was, she was great. So she's very stabby. She's very stabby. Yeah. Very stabby. But like when we first meet her, one of the first things she does is like tell off Killian, which is fantastic. Loved it. Love that. Loved it. She's very assertive. She's very unafraid to use her role and her title. So she's a princess anticipated to be future queen and she expects people to treat her that way. And I love it that she, um, she like enforces that with people who interact with her, especially with men who try to intimidate her. I feel like that's just something that we females and that females run into is men trying to intimidate women in powerful roles. And so I love that she fully embraces the power that she has as the princess of this kingdom. And when people try to give her shit, she's like, excuse you and calls them out and puts them in their place. I love an empowered female. So we find out that Killian says that her father promised him to her, right? But that doesn't really match with what we know about her father. Do you think he was lying? Um... I don't know. I don't know what to think anymore because I thought her dad, like at the start of the book, we're led to believe that they have this like really great and close relationship. But then by the end of the book, we find out that her dad is not as great as she thought he was. You know, he knew about her mom's people being enslaved and he was willing to murder her um, so that she could be, you know, a sacrifice and so at the start of the book I would have said that doesn't sound correct but at the end of the book I don't know what to think anymore right and it's interesting she doesn't like I would have thought she would have mentioned it more like in her narration you know Mm -hmm. because he says that and she's like what but then she Mm -hmm. never asks her dad about it yeah well, I mean, she's like getting married. Like this is right before she's about to get married to someone else anyway. So maybe it wasn't a concern. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's kind of a moot point, but yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I, it surprises, I don't, 
I don't know why Killian would just say something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I don't know why he would just say your dad promised you to me if he hadn't, if that had, if that hadn't actually occurred, it does seem out of character for her father, but also I like, just based on the way that, um, I don't know, nobility tends to work. A lot of times children are used as bargaining, especially females are used as like bargaining chips. So if she were going to be married off to someone, I don't see why she would, he or her dad wouldn't have married her off to someone who could bring them more power instead of just the commander of his guard. Right. That was my thought too. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to sell your daughter, you should sell her to someone who can bring (laughs) more property or power, I guess. (laughs) I know. He's like, yeah, because she's a princess. What is she, you know, if they're in love, fine. But what, 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 what would be the purpose of her marrying captain of the guard, basically, or commander? Yeah. Right. There's, she's a princess. She's going to be queen. Yeah. I mean, he's like an employee. Yeah. I guess that could be kinky. I could do a boss and sort of thing, but not with Killian. Right. Yeah. No, not with Killian. And also that wouldn't be a thought that her dad is entertaining when he's (laughs) marrying his child. That's true. Oh, yeah. So I don't know. He said that about her being promised to him and I just like threw up in my mouth I hate this women people are not property you don't get to just promise their marriage that I hated it and I hated it for our character because she is so oh just ferocious and for her choice to be taken like that I mean even though that she we know that she's willing to make huge sacrifices for her people and she loves her father and is willing to do what she can to serve him. Um, uh, he's just, Gillian is disgusting and he oversteps and I can't, I don't want to see her father promising her to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She makes, I like this quote that she has. So she brings up, cause Killian would always use her father. Right. And mm-hmm as a like to get her to obey basically mm-hmm. and she goes when Killian did not feel like he could handle me he defaulted to using the threat of my father and he wondered why I did not want to sleep with him anymore yeah that's great because yeah so he's kind of been rejected and he definitely has been rejected by her at this point at least from her mm-hmm. bed you know but he still somehow thinks that she would be happy with a marriage yeah um, and well, he's was- not listening right I mean he she rejects him multiple I don't know several times in the first few chapters shoots him down and he's still over here like pining for her or thinking that she I don't know wants to marry him and is in love with him and just is not listening to what she's saying there's another good quote that sort of lines up with this. I think you wrote, you've got it in our notes somewhere about her not knowing her own mind. Oh yeah, it's one of my, um, it's in the favorite quote section. She says, if there was one thing I hated, it was a man convinced that I didn't own my know my own mind. And we see that <laughs> Killian is just, it, I mean, that's him. Like 
she does these things, she makes these comments, and he thinks he knows better than her. And that's a lot of times where she has to come back with putting people in their place, like, excuse you. Yeah, I'm the princess and then the queen. And that's another like, nobody calls her a queen when she is and it's like y'all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Respect There's- her, use her title. There's one point, I don't remember exactly what was happening, but he goes, um, he asked her like, am I that bad? And I had a second of being like, oh, and then I was like, no, wait, yes, you are that bad. He is that bad. Mm-hmm. That's what's hard. I, this is just us getting so used to accepting the bare minimum from mm-hmm. these shitty male characters. <laughs> they have one moment of vulnerability and we're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's not, that's not good. <laughs> this is bad because Killian sucks. He is awful, but he, he puts hands on her and leaves bruises on her arm. He, um, is overbearing he uh I just hate him like I hated him I was reading this at the start and like automatically so Scarlett St. Clair wrote a really great character for me to hate because almost immediately I was like oh this guy and then those feelings just grew in the book when he became even more of a dirtbag he busts in her room without knocking at one point. She's the princess. You don't get to just bust in. Yeah, who does that? Who does that? Ugh. That's so Ugh. And then, of course, the, this poor girl. She's been trying to masturbate for, like, several chapters. Oh, my gosh. I got so frustrated. <laughs> just let her get off, please. <laughs> yeah, she she's... um. What is it? The first time she is like masturbating and her maid shows up and she's like, she'll go away. She'll go away. And she doesn't. Ah. Then then she tries again and Killian busts in her room. It's like, first of all, rude. But then he says, is there something I can help you with? It's like the audacity. Mm -hmm. She would have called for you if she wanted your help. Every time she got interrupted, I felt her irritation. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I feel like this is a very relatable experience. You just want to get off. <laughs> and you keep getting interrupted. Mm-hmm. Or the battery dies. <laughs> That's the worst. It is the worst. That's why you have a backup. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we meet Adrian, the blood king. Uh in the forest initially and then he turns up at dinner and it's like oh and by the way we can go to war or you can let me marry your daughter Uh I mean and her father is like seriously considering going to war and she's like no (laughs) we will never win everyone will die (laughs) and so that becomes the point where I am just baffled by the actions of the people around her. Right? She's making a huge sacrifice. Huge sacrifice to save everyone's life. Mm -hmm. And they treat her like she's a traitor. Yes. And I was so angry with her, her maid who 
um, it's like, how many times did you try to stab him or something? Yeah. And it's like, are you shitting me? I was so like, angry. Oh, she is the worst. First, she gives her the speech about how she says something really gross, like, oh, you're not a child or you're still a child until you get married, which, ew, I do not know why out of all of the people that uh, is old stabs, she was not one of them. She definitely should have been one who got stabbed. Mm-hmm. Um, but like to say that, and then when, you know, after their wedding night, she comes in and she does, she knows that he, she tried to stab because there was a bloody knife on the floor, mm-hmm. right? But she's like, yeah. how many times did you try to do it? You're still going to do it, right? You didn't try to kill him hard enough. Yeah. I was so pissed off. Like I could not, I, I, I could not. I was hoping that she would die. Like I was so angry because this woman is supposed to, I mean, she's basically like a mom to his old. Mm-hmm. her mate she's the one that's helped to dress her and care for her since she was a kid she's only had her dad and this maid like they've been her constants in her life and this maid is shaming her mm-hmm. for having sex with her husband mm-hmm. and then shaming her even though she stabbed adrian mm-hmm. for not stabbing him enough times for not trying hard enough to kill him yeah, I, I don't understand I, that. I, mm, yeah, she definitely should have died. Like, yeah, he's a, I mean, he's a vampire. He's hard to kill. Yeah, he's Almost hard to kill normally. To kill. And he it's was like, like I mean, I, he's been the king for like 150 years. Do you think if it was easy to kill him, he would have been the king for 150 years or longer? I mean, what? Just one little stab, stab is gonna. It, I, mm-hmm. I was so angry. I hated this woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was awful. Absolutely awful. Ugh. And Gross. and then that translated into me hating all of the other people in the in um, Isolde's kingdom because they're all right. dirt. I mean, they're yeah. all. I don't know I mean when they try to kill her right and we're skipping ahead a little bit I guess but when they try to kill her and they're like calling her a traitor and saying all these mean things to her it's are you serious would you like first off they get killed anyway now right because they attacked so they're dead either way if she had not gone with Adrian they would have been dead yeah right what what did they think was gonna happen like yeah I mean, it's basically put in like a no win situation because if she didn't marry this king, mm-hmm. everyone would have died, right? They would have gone to war or people would have been killed or enslaved or whatever. So she does the, uh, what she perceives as to like really her only option to save her kingdom. She marries Adrian mm-hmm. and still she like it's it's a lose-lose situation for her because now she's a traitor she didn't she wasn't upset enough Mm -hmm. that she was being taken to Rebecca she wasn't upset enough that she had to marry the vampire king but okay so let's say so like she's been princess her whole life she's been in training to be queen her whole life we know that a lot goes into like schooling your emotions just based on our like very limited 
um, <laughs> like fictional knowledge of what <laughs> nobility is like. Um, we know that nobility is trained to school their emotions to hide the things that they're actually feeling. So she'd been doing this her whole life, suppressing her actual feelings for the public. So let's say we go the opposite direction of this. If she had been visibly upset, if she had been hysterical at having to leave her kingdom and all of those other things, would, would the outcome have, like, would, would they, would it have been any better? They would probably still have shit talked her. Yeah. And they probably would have tried to kill her to spare her the awfulness in that case. That hysterical embarrassment of a princess that we have couldn't keep her shit together as she was leaving her kingdom to go to her new home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know what I really hated? They listen outside her door. I hated I'm that. Like, oh. I was so angry. Mm-hmm. How childish are you? Why? Oh. Dirtbags, especially Killian. There, there is a really great quote about it. Um, because what's his name adrian he knows that they're all like listening out um out in the hallway that is just disgusting to me adrian though so adrian knows that there are people listening which i love and he calls his old sparrow which is also really cute but he says scream my name sparrow so that your commander may hear how loud i make you come like okay Mm -hmm. that was pretty hot yeah I guess they're making the best of that. Oh, oh, yes. It was so spicy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, the audacity of these people, they're so disrespectful of her privacy. Mm-hmm. You mentioned <laughs> that he calls her Sparrow. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think that's really sweet. I love that. Like I said, I love nicknames. We've talked about this before. Um, I love like when they get like cute little nicknames mm-hmm. and everything. And Sparrow's cute. We find out that Adrian can read Isolde's mind. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine a more uncomfortable thing for your partner to be able to do. Like, if your partner could hear your inner dialogue, if my partner could hear my inner dialogue, I, I, I can't even, I would just pass away. Like... <laughs> the dumb crap that I think about <laughs> I would not oh want gosh. anyone to be privy to this sh- like the crap that just goes around in my mind it would be the worst yes especially if you have things like intrusive thoughts you know and you're just sitting there and all of a sudden it's like jump off the building or something you know <laughs> like you have these like crazy impulsive thoughts oh this animal is so cute let me kill it like <laughs> <laughs> Don't be in my head. It's yeah. weird in there. It is weird it in there. Is. <laughs> don't come in there. You don't want access. So she thinks that Adrian is a monster for a very long time, which was kind of frustrating for me. Yeah. Because she doesn't see him do anything evil or monstrous, really, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I was I was frustrated. Like he's making all these promises to her. He's basically telling her that he worships her, sort of thing, you know. Um, backs her up with everything. He's not awful to his army and his civilians. He's clearly well liked. 
and she's just like he's a monster he's evil okay yeah I mean I feel conflicted because when I think about if I had been put in this situation where I was like I stood to be the queen of my own land and suddenly this person strolls up and it's like yeah you gotta marry me or I'm gonna kill everybody you love I mean (laughs) I would definitely be like resentful and angry in that situation that's not the act of a nice person nice people don't do those things and so I could see going into that situation with him and into his kingdom and being real pissed off and mistrustful and angry and feeling like you had jumped in bed with a monster because I mean it's not it's forced marriage Mm -hmm. right yeah that that's true but yeah but he as a as a person like overall Adrian's a pretty decent guy mm-hmm. he doesn't he's very big on consent he doesn't try to force sex on her um he listens to the things that she asks him to do and like sends people to guard her father and to like when her people attack and try to kill her um which would piss me off if I were in that situation she still wants to honor their burial rights and says you have to bury them you have to bury them he's like okay we'll do it we won't just burn them so as a person Adrian's not a bad guy I mean he's and he seems like a really fair leader to his people but from her perspective I can see I can see why she would be so angry and upset and I can see how it would be hard to trust him also part of that is you know her being led her whole life to believe that he is um, a terrible murdering monster and their culture uh, teaching them that drinking blood from other people is a sin against the gods and not that she's super religious but like that's sort of what's embedded in their belief system so I feel conflicted because I can understand why she acts the way that she does but also Adrian's not as terrible as she's been led to believe she's pretty um hateful (laughs) (laughs) yeah she definitely has her moments her words are hurtful she her words are hurtful several times yes yeah, she definitely had some moments there. Also, she stabs lots of people, and I get it. Like, I'm sure it's very cathartic to be very stabby um, as a communication strategy. Okay. Stab first, ask questions later is all probably not in the best way to approach every situation. So... <laughs> I mean, yeah. I thought it was hysterical. I laughed out loud, I think, when she stabbed Soren. And um, when she stabbed that other guy who offered his daughter as a consort, I was like, yes, girl, stab first. Um, but that can't be the only way you respond to situations. <laughs> it's some better um, communication classes or something like that. <laughs> Although I have to say, like, so 
in Ravika, right? Or Rebecca. 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 She, um, the, who she's around are mainly vampires, right? Like mm-hmm. I think the noble, basically the nobles are all vampires and there are a couple like human servants and then a bunch of the citizens are mortal too, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you could stab a bunch of vampires and they won't die. So yeah. if you are a really stabby person, that's a good place to be. Yes. You can stab them. And I mean, they'll hate it, but it's not like that you'll kill them and then there will be repercussions in that sense. Okay, yeah. It'll probably just be like, ah, all right. This is the inconvenience. Yeah. Ouch. Just a little stab, stab. Yeah. It's only a flesh wound, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until Adrian chops your head off. But right, yeah. That's that's beyond a flesh wound. I mean, I loved every moment where she stabbed someone. I thought it was all great. Well, except Adrian the first time. I was thinking, uh, do we want to stab our partner on our wedding night? Is this and that's part of what got me so pissed off with the people who were like, Okay, but how many times did you stab him? Mm-hmm. Mm, why are you assuming that he's not just gonna kill her? Yeah. Even though they're married. One would assume that a person will only take being stabbed so many times before they're like, all right, that's enough. I'm just going to get an easier wife. Did you like the side characters in this book? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Soren, I loved Soren. He reminded me a little bit of Hadriel from A Rune of Roses and The Throne of Ruin. Did you get that vibe at all? Yeah, I did. A little bit. Yeah. He reminded me of Hadriel. I loved Soren. I thought he was a great side character. And I think there's a lot more to his story that we know about than what we know about so far. So I'm curious to see, and hit with his partner, Derek, Derek? Mm-hmm. I think it's Derek. Derek, okay. Wrong. Well, I'm curious to see where the story goes with them because we know that uh, Soren, Derek, Anne, is her name Anna? Maybe his cousin, I think, mm-hmm. and um, his advisor. Those are four of the people who knew about what happened with him and Yesenia and um, her being tied to his, it, it, to Yesenia and Adrian and her being tied to his life and all of those things. So I'm here. Obviously, those characters are going to end up being very important because they're part of like his core four of people. And so I'm very curious to see where things go with them in the future. Also, like that he was just, I mean, he was very helpful to Isolde. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he explained things to her, you know, things mm-hmm. that Adrian wasn't really explaining. He, he was just, he was helpful. He was helpful. He um, protected her, but also listened to her and was respectful to her. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I liked him. I don't remember reading other vampire books where the vampires could shapeshift into like birds. I mean, bats. Well, yeah, bats. But I mean, like that, that I could make that connection with like Dracula. He shapeshifts into like a falcon or something. Mm. So, but not all of them have that ability, didn't that? 
feel like something was mentioned about like why certain vampires had that ability because not all of them could shapeshift like it was something else like maybe they had witch in them too or something yeah I don't remember but some of them are able to shapeshift and I mean a bunch Mm -hmm. of them have different varieties of like what's her name I think it's Anna she's got like some he um what's his name Adrian Adrian has some healing abilities so a lot of the vampires have like extra abilities that's just kind of something that I haven't seen happen in a vampire story before where the vampire is able to shift into not a bat mm-hmm. I, I want to say in the afterward Scarlet St. Clair says something about shape-shifting abilities um which I just thought that was an interesting interesting uh, component to the vampire lore in this book so she has several visions or dreams or interactions of dead people or like uh witches you know like like she sees Ravina she sees Ravina in the woods she manifests as a I guess well no she's part of the like possessed person I think right and then she sees her in the mirror um, and then she meets King Dragos from a book, kind of. Uh, what, how, what would your thought process be if this was happening to you, do you think? Um, I'm, you mean if I started, like, hallucinating people? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So if I started hallucinating people, I... I don't know what I would do. I mean, I would like to think that I would talk to someone and be like, um, this thing is happening, but also that's not a normal thing to happen. So what do you do? I mean, if you started hallucinating dead witches and Kings, do you keep it to yourself? Do you tell somebody? I don't know. I don't know. My thought process. I don't think my thought process would be to go to, oh, maybe I'm a reincarnated dead witch, like, because that's what she is, right? She's been reincarnated. And so that's what we start suspecting at this point. But if it's actually happening to you, I don't know that that's where your brain goes first. No, I would not. My first thought would not be, oh, I'm the reincarnation of somebody. Um, That would also be my nightmare, I think. Um, (laughs) My first thought would be like, oh, gosh, do I have a tumor? Yeah, I would wonder basically if I was going crazy. Yeah. Has the stress finally gotten to me of being in this like strange, (laughs) you know, country surrounded by vampires and Mm -hmm. now just hallucinating things? Mm -hmm. I just can't imagine what it would be like to be a person who was reincarnated and to know that you have been reincarnated. That would have to be so strange. Because you have, she again ends up gaining back a lot of the memories from her old life. So you have those memories from that life, but then you're also a whole new person now with memories from this life. And so what do you do? Do you become the person that you were in the past or are you like the new and improved you, you 2.0? who's got all of the perks and the memories from a life before plus I don't know spectacular fighting abilities and uh no inhibitions about stabbing people and asking questions later yeah it would have to be kind of like 
for lack of a better term, I guess like a mind fuck to be told that you're a whole other person too. Sort of like, I mean, you're not a whole other person. You're you, but you Mm -hmm. is also someone else. Yeah. It's such a weird concept. It is. So Uh, here's what I would want to see with the reincarnation story going forward. I don't know how you would feel about this, but like, because we do, I mean, as old is amazing and her life up to this point has been different from her life when she was Yesenia in the past. So she has that realization. So going forward in the story, I would like to see her maintain the integrity of who she is in this life. Right. Right. Yeah. And so it's, gotta be something sort of like what's the more like dominant aspects of her personality mm-hmm. you know to maybe uh, did they really say much what about like how Yesenia was what she was like she no, was a powerful yeah. yeah for all the way I mean she could be very stabby too I guess but it doesn't sound like it yeah. Sounds like she was part of, you know, the council and high witches or high coven mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, so it would maybe it would be like what's more dominant that she carried over, right? So right now she's a really, I think she's really confident. She's stabby, you know, mm-hmm. she knows what she wants. And then ugh, I can't really say what maybe she'll bring forward from her previous life. Yeah. Maybe more maybe be more reserved in some ways like stop to think things through instead of stabbing people right away I don't know I wish we knew more about the other person kind of kind of so this is where I think it would be nice to have like an origin story or a prequel for Adrian and Yesenia before Dragos decided to kill all of the witches I would love that I would love because we would Yep, I would love an origin story for them because who knows then maybe going into the next book, like I would be like, oh, I want her to be Yesenia too. Yeah. You know, I wonder if I, I don't think I've read a book like that before where it starts off somebody's, you know, the Lavenders, they die and then they get reincarnated as somebody else, like as part of a series. I'd be really interested to see that as a series, you know? Yeah. Anyway, I would I would love an origin story for them, and I would I, I would, would totally yeah. read that, and I'm sure I would love it. Um, yeah, yeah, I I think an origin story would be great. That would give us a reference for who Yesenia was before, and Adrian too, because that they, they talk about in the book how they were all. I mean, they were Adrian was King Dragos's like first, like second in command, right? He was Mm -hmm. very devoutly following him. And then he fell in love with Yesenia and it was like the world turned over basically. So I would really like to see who these characters were before Dragos decided to kill everybody. And even with Ravina, because there's definitely history there between her and the rest of the witches in the high coven. That's in it at in the book. Yes. Yeah, I'd like to see everything that happened leading up to his, he, he, he says he's not cursed, but, you know, cursed to being a vampire. 
Yeah, that was um, <clears throat> his uh, transition into becoming a, or his story behind how he became a vampire was interesting to me. Mm -hmm. He, after his love was killed, he went to one of the goddesses, I think it was Dis, and said he wanted to taste the blood of his enemies. And so in true <laughs> deity fashion, that's exactly mm -hmm. what it is. He was blessed oh, with. Oh gosh, gods are such jerks. Deities are dicks, no matter the uh, story. <laughs> this is like you know when you get those stories. Where it's like oh, you have three wishes or something, and you have to be really specific about them. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. otherwise it's gonna have like a twist on something. That's what this yes. is. Is old starts to get settled into their kingdom right and so adrian holds court that one day and that guy shows up and he offers his daughter as a consort to adrian and i was just so indignant because again people aren't property mm -hmm. but i loved her response is is like all right i'm gonna take charge of the situation so she hires the daughter to be like one of her ladies maids or whatever. And then just straight up kills the dad. Mm -hmm. Stab first questions later. It's really great. Yep. And then she ends up saving like the whole family too. Yeah. It's not just, yeah. Yep. Has them relocated so that her, her um, new employee can visit with her mom and sister's more regularly and I just love her I want to know so they meant it's mentioned that Adrian won't turn just anyone immortal right yeah he they have to be useful mm -hmm. and I I wonder what his criteria are for that or criteria is whatever what yeah. criteria he uses for that um because obviously this guy didn't meet it right he was a jerk um yeah and he turns down everybody at this course court session right um, so i'm wondering to him what useful means because it says multiple times in the book that when vampires first started that there were several years of basically chaos almost where vampires weren't uh, I, I picture that vampires were just kind of go around turning everybody into vampires sort of yeah. they didn't have good control over themselves basically um so I'd like to see that story too yeah but anyway so I want to know what Adrian uses as a reference for useful you know there's some obvious ones like really great strategic mind stuff like that but there's got to be others yeah what makes you useful enough to be changed mm -hmm. I think that that would be something that would be nicely worked into um like a prequel we're really pushing for this but see yeah. i think it would be great so what we could do is we could have a viewpoint of maybe adrian oh man it's gonna break my heart if she writes the story because i know it's gonna have a sad ending adrian and yesenia's like introduction to each other and the beginning of their love story and it could explore like Yesenia's interaction with King Dragos and his um, decision to murder everybody, including trying to kill 
Adrian and then his transition from human to vampire and his interactions with the deities, right? Mm-hmm. That would be really good. And then at what point they decided to be more discerning about who they changed. I hope, I would love to see that definitely. I'm here for this story. Mm-hmm. Very yes. much so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I loved this moment when, so there's a, a council of vampires that Adrian has. Uh, and they, they kind of take care of the, the outer lying territories and they meet regularly, right? And so Isolde goes to one of these meetings and she, I mean, in this moment was just, it was so like real life to me because she criticizes the council. She says, how unfortunate that no women advise you. And Adrian says to her, you advise me, my queen. And she says, one woman and nine men how revolutionary of you why does this feel like real life (laughs) I know it's so I feel like we've been seeing that a lot in our books recently yes books that feel like real life (laughs) and that's great about fantasy um there's that that overlay of okay it's not real world but that those situations like these interactions still can apply Mm-hmm. and still relatable mm-hmm. even though she's often a vampire the empire of the vampire with the blood red sky hey there's still only one woman on a council there's still all the misogyny yeah <laughs> it's so familiar it's kind of like you know it's keeping that keeping you in touch with reality there yes yeah or it's like the, the token female. It's like, oh, we have one woman. We've got some <laughs> diversity. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then I bet if there was already a woman, she would end up clashing with the woman or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Could see that happening. Mm-hmm. So the time comes for like Isolde's coronation. Yes. And her father's come into town. Mm-hmm. And her, their reunion is really sad. Mm-hmm. So she's really different. I mean, and it hasn't been very long, but she's starting to come to terms with some of her feelings for Adrian. And also just the way that she views the world and what she has learned from these people has illuminated a lot of mistruths that she was told in her kingdom. Mm -hmm. And so she's way more empowered and more educated now. And it's like awkward, especially because she knows that her mother's people have been enslaved. And then she finds out that her dad knew that her mother's people and possibly her family members have been enslaved. And it's just, I feel like she does a good, the author did a good job at writing like this scene and making the reader feel that like disappointment and strained nature that their relationship has now um I feel bad for her and for the situation with her father and her country and everything plus they're not going to believe her if she just says hey this is actually what happened they're going to be like oh you're brainwashed they brainwashed you yeah I mean, that's, um, that's basically what they, her dad says to her. She, mm-hmm. he tells her that she's under a spell. Like, what can I do to break the spell that you're under or whatever? Um, 
again, it goes back to people um, not believing that she knows her own mind, um, not listening to her and the things that she's saying. It's just, it's, it, I feel bad for her because for so long, her dad was the only, like her dad and her ladies maid who we've already talked about how much we don't like her, but her dad is the only person that was really a stable force in her life. And she talks about how they always had each other and they were always really close and it would be hard to still have all of those feelings, but now viewed in the light of your father also knowing that your mother's people were enslaved and not seeing it as a problem. Mm -hmm. Then there's the whole him trying to murder her thing. Right. Yeah. And then he tries that really, yeah. I mean, that's just, that would send you to therapy. Mm -hmm. Definitely. If being married off uh, against your will to a vampire uh, didn't already warrant therapy. Yeah. Almost being killed by your father. Trying to make you a human sacrifice Mm -hmm. would do it. Yep. That scene blew me away. I, I mean, I was, I was not expecting her dad to be the one to try to kill her. Honestly, I thought it was going to be Killian. See, the only reason I thought maybe her dad was because when they were attacked by traitors, or not by traitors, but well, I mean, I guess they're traitors, but when they were attacked on her original way back to uh, Rebecca, right, Adrian makes a comment about whether or not her dad sent them. And mm-hmm. she was like, no, he wouldn't do that. And he was like, are you sure? And so when we get to this point, I was like, okay yeah all right makes sense yeah I could see that he saw that coming so I'm this happens in like a hall full of mirrors right yeah this who why is there a hallway full of mirrors who has that room maybe they like to look at themselves maybe is it a fun house like I just It's like, what is the purpose of having a hall of mirrors in your castle except for like this exact reason? <laughs> they were designed. I don't. I don't castle. know, Vicky. I didn't design it. I don't know. It's like gotta have that hall of mirrors in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and it's amazing how often hall of mirrors show up in things. But when you think about it, like movies and TV shows, and all this, why are there always so many hall of mirrors? Oh, yes. It's just this hall of mirrors over here. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I bet a witch put it up. Probably some witch came in and was like, okay, down the road in the future, we might need to use witches to portal or mirrors to portal or communicate or whatever. So we'll just casually place a bunch of them (laughs) along this hall. No one's going to question it. Going to be fine. It won't cause any problems. A hall full of mirrors. Nobody's going to question this. It's going to be fine. But it is treated totally normal. Like, I don't think there's any narration where she's like, why are there all these mirrors here? Like, it's just, (laughs) I'm in the hall of mirrors again. Okay. Yeah. I think if somebody had a hall of mirrors, if I went over to the house and they had a hall of mirrors, I would be like, is this a sex thing? Like, that would be... (laughs) Is this some sort of sex thing? You like watching? Is that what this is? Yeah. That's it. I feel like that's inviting bad luck. Oh, yeah. And the she more gets mirrors that- you have, the yeah. more likely they'll break. 
Mm-hmm. She ends up smashing all of them. Yeah. That's a lot of bad luck. This kingdom is screwed. So there's a final sex scene, right? And there's this big moment where Adrian drinks her blood. Yeah. Right? It's finally this moment. We've been leading up to this. We've been leading up to this. And it felt really short, right? It did, especially compared to their first sex scene, mm-hmm. which was spectacular. Like it was flaming hot Cheetos hot. It was so mm, like the spice was perfect. There was plenty of foreplay. We had conversations about consent and continue to have them in the story, which I love. Adrian asked several times, like, can you handle this? Which I appreciate. But their first sex scene was very descriptive. And so we build all of this anticipation in the book. And we get to this one that's a big deal. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, it was still really good. Mm-hmm. But it, it felt just, like with all of the buildup that we had to this moment. There would have been something more. I wanted more. Yeah. I always want more. I mean, let's get real. I always want more. So <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, this, this, this scene is a little bit sweeter, I would say, probably, though, than that first scene because there's more meaning tied into this one too so that may be where part of that difference comes in as well Mm -hmm. it's more of a like tender sweet thing versus yeah like hate banging sort of yeah on that first go around (laughs) yeah yeah where we just casually stab our partner yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so with him biting her that creates some potential problems for them so if he takes her blood then their lives become like fully tied together so if she dies he will also die too and that ultimately ends up being why Isolde's father tries to kill her because she tells him like we're tied if he dies or if I die he dies too and her dad's like got it let's <laughs> let's get to dying uh, so I I don't know. I feel like I like this type of trope. Where the lives are tied together? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This happens in like a court of um, the Akatar series as well, where mm-hmm. the lives of our two main characters become tied together. And I, I think I like that because if you think about, you know, up to this point, Adrian has been living in misery, begging for, begging the universe, begging the gods, begging whoever for his partner to come back. And if we think about how heartbreaking, a lot of times this pulls me back into like the faded mates thing and how we know just in other books, how hard it is when a person loses their mate, right? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like if you are going to be in a situation kind of like this, Having your lifespans tied together. Oh, this happens in Throne of Glass too. Having your lifespans tied together kind of ends up being the best outcome for you both, right? Yes. Then you don't have to live without the other. Yeah, I agree. And I think it also works really well where one of the persons, one of the um, characters is immortal and the other one isn't, right? Mm -hmm. So we see in Akatar, they're both basically immortal, right? Yeah. Um, But... This is, I feel like it's a good way for the mortal to live longer 
mm-hmm. and for them to have as much time together as possible without the other one having to like suffer so much yeah you know so yeah. I just read um that those Anne Bishop books right oh, yeah but, um and that kind of happens well so the main female lead lives life normally as a human and she dies and she's like 80 something but her significant other is immortal and he's 1700 years old so he has to continue the rest of his time without her he only got out of this like millennia of his lifetime he only gets like less than 100 years with this person that was his fated mate basically that seems so difficult and sad it does yeah i want my characters to be happy or dead (laughs) that's it (laughs) happy dead no in between (laughs) put them on depression medicine (laughs) except for the being dead part yes are you suffering if you're dead though Maybe. I mean, it depends on if there's an afterlife, if it's good afterlife or a bad afterlife, right? Oh, I guess that's a fair point. Yeah. All right. I'll allow it. <laughs> so this book ends on, uh, I wouldn't say it's really a cliffhanger, but it does kind of end with some questions still up in the air, right? Mm-hmm. So we find out that, so because, um, because Isolde took Adrian's blood, something that they kept secret, but Ravina, evil witch, knew about it, which indicates that someone in their inner circle, some of the um, of Adrian's inner circle, n- is a traitor. Mm-hmm. So that's the big question we're left with: like, who is the traitor? I don't know. And I really don't have, for some reason, my first thought was, um, what's her name? Yesenia's sister, I think. What's her name? Or best friend. They were best friends. Yeah. Shoot. Anna. Is it Anna? Anna. I feel like it's Anna. Yeah. That's what I feel like. So I think it is. Um, my first thought was her, but then I was like, that can't be right. I was like, she's waited all this time too for Yesenia to come back. To then do that, I don't. But I don't know. Who do you think it was? I want to say it's. Um, I think his name is Tanaka, Adrian's mm-hmm. like right hand fella. Mm-hmm. Just because we don't find out anything about him, really, I just want it to not be Soren. Yeah, that would be really awful if it was. Soren. It would be really disappointing if it was Soren. So I don't really care who else it is, as long as it's not Soren. Mm-hmm. it's gonna be Soren shut up don't say that <laughs> <laughs> don't put that out in the world <laughs> yeah Sorry. So, I guess we'll see because there will be a sequel to this yes but also a prequel would be nice too yeah if I think I'd be requests. yeah I think I'd rather there be a prequel versus a sequel following the same characters. Now I'd be fine if there was a sequel following like different characters, like following Soren or maybe following one of the other side characters. 
but I wouldn't really be interested in reading more of their story but I think that's just because it's reincarnation and I got after it so well I wouldn't mind reading more of their story I really enjoyed Adrian and his old romance I enjoyed the way that their relationship built no you don't like the reincarnation thing but I didn't mind it and I would be I mean I'm curious to see where they're how things progress from here especially in light of her like recognizing that she is Yesenia in this life and trying to make sense of that and merge what she experienced in her past life with where she's at right now I'm curious to see because I feel like that would be a hard making that like merge with your past and your present I feel like that would be hard oh you know what I got um from blood and ash vibes from this did you was it the stabbing it was the stabbing it was the vampires that everyone think are evil but aren't evil the um you know like they think that they create all these creatures but they didn't mm-hmm. um the whole coming to the realization that like your whole life was a lie pretty much yeah yeah I really like that as a trope where the character realizes that their entire life and upbringing has been a lie. We've mm-hmm. seen that in um, several books. So in uh, like the Bridge Kingdom, for example, that's that, that trip plays out in that. And I love it from Blood and Ash. Definitely. Um, there's something that we just read. I want to say where that's the case as well. I can't remember what it is, but I like that as a... Um, just as a trope in general that everything you've been told is incorrect yeah I oh, think it's... that happens kind of in neon gods too everything they've been told about Hades is incorrect as well I think one of the reasons it's such a popular and such a good trope is because you see a lot of, you have to see a lot of character development in those situations yeah you know so and seeing I think it's interesting seeing characters come to terms with it as well mm-hmm. um yeah but they're like forced to have this growth and they're forced to um unlearn things Mm -hmm. which is interesting to see in characters yeah uh let's talk about our quotes sure um so i had the if there was one thing i hated it was a man convinced that i did not know my own mind Mm -hmm. we talked about that earlier so the other one i had was I did not want to die a hero. I wanted to live as a conqueror. And I just thought it was funny because my notes said, I was like, that's pretty obvious with all the stabbing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also think it's interesting. So when we think conqueror, it doesn't automatically bring like good things to mind. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So that leads me to be curious of where this is going. Like in the next book, are they going to, still keep trying to take over Cordova I wouldn't be surprised you know now Mm -hmm. she has her memories back maybe they will yeah they don't know um so I thought it was interesting that she used the especially using that word conqueror you know um but what else she wouldn't use the word villain (laughs) well no (laughs) that would be good though I want to live as the bad guy (laughs) hey some people do right but that would be, yeah. I did not want to die a hero. I wanted to live as the villain. <laughs> That's the book that I want to read. <laughs> that would, yeah, I would love that. 
I mean, no, I, but I love know. the chaos. I, I guess you do. I do think, you know, a lot of times conqueror has a bad connotation, but if you think about the lands that they're conquering, what they're really trying to do is change this misinterpretation of history that's been spread to save people who were, I mean, to save future people from being killed uh, wrongly. Um, mm. But also, Ravina is doing whatever it is that she's doing with her weird magic to um, try to destroy all of the vampires and, I guess, get revenge or amass more power. So, I know yeah. Conqueror has kind of a bad connotation, but maybe actually like saving people's lives in the process of that. I mean, she could have used savior or queen or something like that too yeah but i like conqueror i mean yeah maybe she just just wants to conquer more power is better i guess mm-hmm. yeah i like this quote too because this is also when she has that conversation like when her dad is trying to kill her and he's like don't you want to die a hero and she's like no <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I really liked the quote Adrian says when he's talking to um, Azold about their history. So he says, history is just perspective. It changes depending on your side. Um, And this just ties in with that trope that I really enjoy where it's like re-educating the people who've gotten history wrong. Yeah. And we also think about there's history is always written by the conquerors, right? The winners too. Yeah. Yeah. that it, I, when I read this, I thought about that as well, how history is written by the winners. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be two sides to every story in history, the people who succeeded or won and the people who lost or were conquered. So, mm-hmm. all right. Uh, what are your final thoughts on this book? I really enjoyed the sex in this book. I also really enjoyed the world that was built. I want to see more of it. Um, I would love to see a prequel. Prequel. I love the the whole idea of like the blood red sky and stuff. You know, I think um, Scarlett St. Clair did a great job of creating a whole new world um, that I'm curious to see more of. Didn't like the whole reincarnation bit, but hey, that's fine. Um, interested to see more of the world I'd like to see more of it yeah I really enjoyed this story um it was a pretty fast read and then once I got into it like I didn't want to stop so I really I really liked it it's very different to me this story was very different from the Hades Persephone story that Scarlet St. Clair has also authored and I really liked and loved the Hades and Persephone trope but I really this one was very different from that and I really enjoyed it too. Alrighty well that's gonna wrap up King of Battle and Blood by Scarlet St. Clair. Next week we'll be talking about uh, Winter Fae Queen by Lexi Foss and J.R. Thorne. Um, This is going to be our Christmas holiday solstice episode. So get festive. (laughs) Join us next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. 
If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.